This is the Huddle Up Podcast with J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, and John Osher. Welcome to the new era. The Huddle Up Podcast starts right now. Welcome into the Huddle Up Podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 24th. I'm J.P. Shadrick, Bucky Brooks, John Osher coming up as well. A review of the newest additions to the Jaguars in free agency, and they're running it back with a couple familiar names as well. Urban Meyer getting a taste of NFL business for the first time. We'll hear from the Jags head coach. And after all that, you can adjust your mocks accordingly. Bucky Brooks has done just that. His latest is out Tuesday on NFL.com. And we'll get some social media questions as well as we always do. Remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars podcast network. It's on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us five stars and all the comments we can handle. John Osier with us, as always, from his home studio. Bucky Brooks is via telephone this week, and uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting – we're making it happen here on the Huddle Up podcast, Bucky. <laughs> yeah, it's not necessarily ideal, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to take it back uh, to the glory days of the mid-'90s with the Jaguars, so might as well do it via phone. Is this a payphone? I think he's using John? Prodigy, JP. I think is what he's using. Remember Prodigy? <laughs> Prodigy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we might as well use my old AOL address and everything else. Like, uh, what is that? AIM, Instant Messenger. Might as well do all right. of that. Just take it all the way back, <laughs> dial up, and all the whizzing and whirring and bells pinging and popping, uh, signing off. So, yeah. I love it. That's fantastic. I love it. Well, we're making it happen today here on the Huddle Up Podcast. It is a pro day season. It's free agencies underway, and there's a lot going on. But Bucky, what have been your assignments this week pro day-wise before we get to Jaguar stuff? Well, we have to be really excited because we had an opportunity on Tuesday to look at Mac Jones and the, the crew from the Crimson Tide. So that's been uh, that was a lot of fun seeing those guys. I think what was even more impressive is beyond – the Mac Jones workout was Najee Harris driving nine hours because his flight was canceled just to be in the building to support his teammates. I think it says a lot about him and his football character that he really wanted to be a part of it, that he got in the car and drove for nine hours. I, I can't say that I would drive nine hours, but I, I pass off to him for driving nine hours for a pro day that he didn't participate in. From Dallas to Tuscaloosa, John, is not really the, the most uh, you know scenic of routes. It's... Uh... <laughs> A little boring, John. Well, I've been to enough pro days that I don't know if I'd drive nine minutes to one if I didn't have to. <laughs> but uh, it certainly speaks to you know, what that program means uh, to each other and speaks you know to him because that's definitely not one. Nobody was going to count against him for not doing that, obviously. And I know, Bucky, you uh, you would have missed out. I know you missed out on like lunch at City Cafe in Northport because you probably would have been there and, and in person and all that. But everything is a lot of it's virtual this year. So you're missing out on some of the, the best things Tuscaloosa has to offer. Let's get to the Jaguars, though, here on the Huddle Up podcast. And we heard from Urban Meyer last week is reaction to the early part of free agency and the Jaguars head coach of course is used to getting most every recruit that they went after in college especially at the big time schools at Florida and at Ohio State but here in the NFL especially the first wave of free agency it's all about the dollars yeah I remember uh, it is new I see that I said go get him I want that guy you know go get him in recruiting, we would have a recruiting meeting and identify the best players, say, go get them. Then all of a sudden, I start finding out this guy cost $28 million. This guy cost, and I, it was a really 
I knew it to say I didn't know it. Of course I knew it. But just the way you put that puzzle together about here's your here's your cap space. Here's your choices. Can we take him? But we get three of these guys to help. And so I imagine once you build your roster exactly the way you want it, then you can take one guy and go get that, you know, the, the $25 million athlete. Uh, we weren't, we're not in position to do that right now. You know, we're just not. So it was a, a learning experience. I feel great about it. All right, guys, it's a welcome. I guess it's a welcome to the NFL moment for Urban Meyer. He knew it. He knew it's a business and it's money, and but it's the first taste of really seeing a check and that you have to write for $25 million. Business decisions, though, are both ways. I mean, you could you know, obviously the, the player wants the, what's best for them, the most money, but the organizations can also take a pass. And it feels like, John, that's what the Jaguars have done on some of these guys. They maybe had a number. Can't don't want to break the bank early in free agency. They had so many other things, John, to really handle here. I think we've talked about in this show and, and many others, the perception of Urban Meyer before he got here hasn't been the way it's played out at all in terms of his willingness to be candid with the media as, as transparent as possible. I thought last week when he was talking about free agency, he was incredibly candid of look. I learned a lot about this process. There were some things he didn't like about the process. And I saw some national people sort of criticize him for some of the things he said along the lines of, hey, this isn't a great system when you can't meet these guys uh, before you actually get them in the building. I don't know that there is a solution to what Urban's talking about, but I certainly don't think he's wrong to think that that's kind of a jacked up system when you are investing this kind of equity in these guys and you can't even shake their hands. Beyond that, though, to the point of your question, JP, I thought it was very fascinating when Urban basically said, hey, we had certain budgets on guys. We weren't going to go past it. That was a learning process. And it spoke to what they did in free agency, which is what we talked about last week. They saw this roster needed to improve in certain areas. There were areas where they went after, quote unquote, frontline guys. But they looked at it and said, we need to spend our money wisely and get the talent base of this up, it's not time to go after big-time free agent money yet, Bucky. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really interesting to see how Urban attacked this because it is one of the things that you wanted. How would he kind of become familiar with the free agency process? I, th I think he does bring up a good point. It is really hard to invest big-time money with someone that you don't know. But I think he let us uh, – he kind of let us know how they were going to deal with that process when he talked about he wanted to position coaches to have guys that they wanted in the room. And I think we saw a lot of familiarity in some way, shape, or form. We see Joe Cullen bring over Jihad Ward, someone that he had in his room. We saw others. We saw Malcolm Brown come over via trade because Charlie Strong certainly had a relationship with him prior. And there were a handful of other guys, Adair Belville, knowing Marvin Jones. And so when you think about that and you think about free agency, the one thing that is always kind of what makes you fearful of free agency is bringing someone over that you don't really know. And then when you pay them big bucks, you get them like, yeah, he's not really a great fit for what we do. Not only schematically, but how he is in the locker room. There is some validity to Urban's point, but I think he also tried to work around it by having guys come over that someone on the staff previously knew or worked with. Don't you think, Bucky, that that maybe matters even more right now when they're trying to get it established than maybe it will in two or three years when – they'll have a culture established and the culture can change a guy once that's the case. Right now, they want guys that they know will grasp what they're doing 
it seems like that's more important maybe now than it will be in two or three years, slightly. Absolutely. I think that it's something that is a huge deal. And I think it's something for the culture that he wants to make sure that he gets right. And as long as they continue to kind of kick the tires and make sure that they're bringing in the right fits from a character standpoint and a playing standpoint in terms of the schematics, I think it gives them a chance. I just, you know, there's so much uncertainty and you're up against, we still don't know if there's going to be a normal off season. You have to try and figure out a way to kind of get this thing going and turn it around without being able to do the things that were normal. I mean, normal things that we would do in a, I guess a pre pandemic uh, off season. Hey JP, I can't, I can't imagine. I guess they really haven't said for sure what the off-season program is no, going to look like. No, they have not. Yeah, I haven't heard it. Bucky, have well, you heard? No, we haven't heard. Like, they haven't said anything. The only thing they said is about the draft, but we haven't said anything about what the off-season will look like. I'm sure it'll probably be a mix of what it looked like last year and maybe maybe a few more in-person things, but yeah, but I mean, I, remember, and, like, well, off-season yeah. workouts are supposed to start April 5th with the new coaching staff, so the weight room and all that's supposed to start then, but what does that Boy, even I entail? I do not want to be around Urban if they tell him you can't be around players come April 5th. And <laughs> I'm just saying that as I've heard him say a couple of times, I heard him say when it was just me and Dave DeCandis talking to him, and it makes sense. That's the one thing that for him, he is such a get-to-know-the-player, established trust. That's so important to him. He's already antsy about not being able to get with the quarterback in January, February, and March. If you tell, you know, put it this way, you say don't shoot the messenger, he might shoot the messenger on this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be the one telling. (laughs) Yeah, he he very well may go crazy if he doesn't understand. I'm joking, but that's obviously for him. He considers that so important. It speaks to what he believes is, is, is is important as much as it is sort of amusing to think about him getting angry about it. This is the Huddle Up Podcast. J.P. Shadrick, John Osher, senior writer, Jaguars.com, Bucky Brooks, NFL media analyst. Uh, let's touch on a few additions. You know, last week on this podcast, we went through pretty much all the names that were reported at the time because when this aired, it wasn't official yet. It aired Wednesday morning. It wasn't official until 4 o'clock in the afternoon last Wednesday. So we'll touch on a few of the names and touch on the guys who are really in the building this week. Because on earlier podcasts, we've really gone in depth on some of these other guys. And Bucky, you know, we're talking about character off the field and performance on combined here. Marvin Jones really impressed a lot of us around the building yesterday. The uh, wide receiver from the Detroit Lions, 18 touchdowns the last two years. And from the the little time we had with him yesterday, it seems like off the field and and in that meeting room and just in life in general, this is a guy you want around your organization. Yeah, very mature uh, player. Obviously, he's in his 30s, so he's been around the league for a while. But even before that, people would tell you he's a, the consummate pro. He's going to go about his business in a very professional manner. He's going to prepare, and he's going to be great for the young guys in the room because he's going to show them how to get ready. And so with LaVisca Chenault and some of the other young guys that will eventually be in that room, you need to have someone that can be that that leader. Now, that doesn't mean that he will take the leadership duties away from DJ Chart, but it's different when you've been in there, you've been in the league for a long time. And also, when you're learning a new offense under Darrell Bevel, you want someone who can accelerate the process. He'll be able to do that. And not only mention the work that he'll do with Trevor Lawrence, I think this is a really, really smart pickup by the Jaguars. It's funny, JP. I, I uh, 
the more you're around the league, the more you realize guys who do it for 10 years or more, that so it's tough. That's not about talent to me as much as it's about figuring out what it takes to play in this league and to continue to be productive. I'll guarantee you it, and to in stay on the field, like health wise, class, right? All that. Yeah. Yeah. Since Marvin Jones has been in the league, there have probably been a hundred receivers drafted who have more quote talent than this guy, whatever talent means. So for guys who are able to stay in the league, same with Tyson Alwala, you know, yep. no matter where you're drafted, no matter how much talent you have, if you're in the league 10 years or more, I don't think you do that without being an unbelievable professional. And I think it's important. You've got that on both sides of the ball at all positions right now, or, or they're getting closer to it, but you're getting to the point where at a lot of positions, you've got veteran guys who can be leaders in that room. And uh, I'm not as big on that as maybe some people are that you have to have that, but you need the right guy leading each spot. It's because it's an eighth year guy. It doesn't mean he's the right guy. It feels like they're getting close to having the right guy at a lot of these spots. Let's touch on another area that obviously is uh, of importance to most head coaches, but certainly head coach Urban Meyer, and that's Rudy Ford, the safety by trade, but special teams ace. Comes from the Eagles. He only played in eight games last year, Bucky, but I think he had 11 total special teams tackles last year in that time frame, which is a top six or so in the NFL. Uh, The guy can really get down the field, and you need – a handful of core special teams guys, and it feels like Rudy Ford could step into that role. Yeah, I think he absolutely can step into that role. You talked about the production and a small sample size. It just shows how active he is in the kicking game. And one of the things that Urban takes pride in, and he's always taking pride in going back to his collegiate days, has been having a dominant special teams unit. And so you don't sign a guy like that just, oh, he's going to be a backup player. Maybe he can help us. It's about trying to build an elite special teams unit because we see it. Most NFL games are decided by one score, eight points or fewer. And so if you can find a way to tilt the the skills in your favor by having an elite kicking game, uh, I think it certainly helps you go from a bad team to maybe a team that is very competitive in year one. Every coach alive, JP, says special teams is a third of the game. That's right. Every coach does. Right. Not every coach or organization puts equity behind it. They clearly did during free agency. Jamal Agnew, yep. mm-hmm. Ford, these are guys. Agnew's not a four-core guy, but he's the returner. Ford being a four-core guy, they're taking it seriously with this, and it matters to them. And there's no reason it shouldn't. The way they approached it, this allows them to put their money where their mouth is in terms of special teams. Again, they clearly looked at all areas of the roster and said, we've got to raise, we have to raise the level by, you know, what's that phrase? The tide lifts all ships or whatever that is. You know, <laughs> rising they, tide raises all ships. Yeah. yeah, whatever that rising tide thing is, that applies to you. So I've got more, as this podcast goes on, I will offer more analogies that I really don't understand as ways to define things. Well, when in Rome. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> One final oh name we'll touch, touch on here, oh, guys, yeah. is uh, Tyson Alualu. He hasn't visited here yet, but I think he knows where the weight room is, Buck. He's been around here for a long time. And, uh, you know, this is one where, you know, going back to that defensive line setup, 
you know, they needed some beef there. That was a that was priority number two behind quarterback for Urban Meyer in the offseason. So they did that with a few names. We talked about them last week, Roy Robertson, Harris, uh, Malcolm Brown, the trade in from the Saints. But bringing Tyson in, the guy has missed four games in his entire career. And a couple of those were just by coach's decision here in Jacksonville. He wasn't injured then. So in reality, he's probably missed two games because of injury. He's reliable. He's sharp. He's as good as you want off the field as well. And having him back around here is going to be great for this team, Bucky. Yeah, it absolutely will be great. Uh, this is a guy that up in Pittsburgh, he was a key contributor, former first-round pick for the Jaguars. He understands and he understands the organization, he understands the lay of the land. You're trying to make sure you have enough veterans that can show the young guys the way. We believe that this is going to be a very young team. As they're trying to rebuild the team, you're going to have a bunch of first, second, and third-year guys. You need veterans in each position room that can set the tone and raise the standard of performance. And so hopefully Tyson can come back to Jacksonville. He can do that. And hopefully they still can add another player or two with elite talent that can kind of change the way that that D-line room goes about their business. Look, there's being an Iron Man, which Tyson is, and there's playing through things where he shouldn't be playing. He had microfracture surgery, I think, after his second year. I forget which year it was. He has played through stuff, I've been told by different coaches here, that there's no way he should have been playing through. This guy is tough. He shows up every week. He can still play at a high level as well. But as much as Urban talked last week about Joe Cullen banging the table for Ward, I'll guarantee you Cullen banged the table for Alawala. And I went to Urban, and if availability was a topic, I guarantee you Cullen went to Urban and said, look, if this guy can be available, he's going to be available. Don't worry about it with him. He's as impressive a pro as I've ever been around. So – I would sign him if I even thought I was going to get four games from him a year just to have him around younger players. I think he's that much of an influence. And now he's back. Back in Teal again, uh, where he probably should have – could have stayed throughout his entire career, but he's back, and that'll be a a great addition to this Jaguars defensive line. This is the Huddle Up podcast, and remember that season ticket renewals are underway. And the phone is ringing off the hook here at TIAA Bank Field. Existing season ticket members, including those who were on pause last year, need to lock in your seats. They got to do it right now because demand is sky high in 2021. And we'll look to play in front of a capacity crowd here in 2021 at TIAA Bank Field. Look for your renewal link in your email. Visit jaguars.com or call 904-633-2000. And subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network. It's on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us the five-star treatment. Well, let's get to Jaguars needs now. Free agency is underway. First wave is done. We'll see if there are other additions down the line. but. With all these additions, you've got to adjust your mock drafts accordingly. And Bucky, you've done just that. Yours hit on Tuesday, 2.0, first round mock draft. What do you have for the Jaguars? Well, obviously, we can go with Trevor Lawrence at number one because he's the face of the franchise. He's exactly what we want uh, at the position, leadership ability, big time arm talent, athleticism. He appears to be in lockstep with uh, what Urban wants in terms of at that position. So he's a no brainer at number one. I think the interesting thing is getting down to 25, what direction will the Jaguars go? We talked about the needing to upgrade the defensive line. They need a dominant or an elite defensive lineman. 
I don't know if there's one that's sitting there at 25. And so let's make sure we go to the back end and find someone in the middle of the field that can make plays. And so for me, I'm, I'm believing that Trevor Morgan from TCU is a guy that is certainly of interest. When you go back and study how Joe Cullen, the defense that the Ravens played, how Ohio State played under Urban, which was split safety defense, your strong safety and your free safety you need to be able to cover in man-to-man. They need to be able to beat factors against the run. They'd be able to make plays. He is the best playmaker at the position in safety. And with his skill set, I mean, you talk about having an opportunity to have an all-star at the position. If he's there at 25, I think it's a no-brainer. Okay, uh, Bucky, we all know that in your next mock draft, you'll pick somebody else because that's what all us <laughs> mock drafters do. So who will you pick for them in your – like, I guess what I'm getting at is there's two or three directions they could go here. I agree with you that uh, this kid makes a lot of sense. You see Barmore. What other – logical spots would there be at 25 to you because you'll change the next one i know, you know you. yeah i mean maybe i don't know like i have to think <laughs> about it like I I, I I i wrestled so hard with it all over the weekend that maybe i can come up with another thing a lot of it depends on what they feel like internally about cam robinson and offensive yep. tackle because this is a year where you may have six seven guys that carry first round grades at that position it wouldn't be a bad idea if you're sitting at 25 to take a good offensive tackle if you if he's sitting there. In that range, you could potentially be talking about Jeremy Mayfield from Michigan. Uh, I think uh, Coach Meyer would say that school up north. Um, yeah, Mayfield, <laughs> they could be sitting there. You have the potential of uh, uh, Kevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State also being available. And the surprise name, they could be a first rounder, would be Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame. If you beef up that offensive line and make sure that the quarterback is protected, you can never go wrong. And so I, I view the game as a game of chess. And the number one rule in chess is protect the king. And so if Trevor Lawrence is going to be the king, make sure you protect him and you can protect him with a big offensive line. One thing the Jaguars did not get done in at least the early wave of free agency is a pass-catching tight end down the field. Um, is that a possibility, or is that even too early at 25? Is that something they could wait a little bit second-round draft? Uh, I think for, like, tight end, you definitely can find a tight end in the second round. Uh, Pat Freeman from Penn State is in the conversation. Hunter Long from Boston College are both in the conversation. Both of those guys would be nice fit. Um, big athletic pass catchers, big hands, sturdy in the ring. I think both of those guys could be – and play. If you go a little later, you could then talk about Trey McKitty, who is from Georgia, super athletic. If you want one of those Janu Smith types that can run the seam and do those things, yeah. So you can find a tight end, but I do believe they need to invest in a tight end fairly early if you want one of those difference makers as opposed to a guy that might just be a little limited in some other area. Now, Buck, my understanding is in your mock, and uh, forgive me, I've not going past the top 10 in your mock. Um, <laughs> you have Pitts going at 13. Is that right? I did in the scenario because remember now, I'm a purist when it comes to my drafts there, uh, John. No trades, no funny okay, stuff. Gotcha. Like whatever the picks are, those are the picks. But when you think I about I agree with you on Kyle that front, Pitts, by the way. Yeah, there's been a lot of conversation about Kyle Pitts. Maybe he's the second best player in the draft and those things. But when you go back and look at tight ends taking the top 10, it hasn't been very kind. T.J. Hawkinson from Detroit was taken at eight. He's been okay, but he hasn't been an all-star. Eric Ebron going all the way back was drafted in the top ten. 
ahead of some very, very dominant and dynamic players. I would say his career has just been okay. And so as much as I love Kyle Pitts as the player, the top tight end, let's see, George Kittle, fifth-round pick. Travis Kelsey, I also yeah. think, was a fifth-round pick. So it doesn't necessarily translate that if you take a tight end high, he's going to be an impact player. He has great value as a first-rounder. I just don't know if I would pull the trigger on him in the first round early. But, Bucky, I mean, look at the tape on this guy. I mean, the, this, this guy's tape is not those guys' tape, at least in my opinion. I mean, what he did, especially this past season at Florida when he was healthy, I mean, there, mm-hmm. you don't really see that. That doesn't show up anywhere. That, that's very rare to find, especially wait till he puts on about 15 or 20 more pounds too. Yeah, look, he's a, he's a fantastic playmaker. He's a jumbo wide receiver out there in a tight end box. Right. He ran four four six and all that in workouts. But we've seen those guys come from lesser ranks, JP. Yeah. You don't necessarily need to get him in the top ten. He's a fantastic player. But remember, this draft is deep in pass catchers and all those other things, and some coaches can create guys depending on how they use them if he's there. Because I'm, I'm thinking the, the places where everyone naturally put him, Philadelphia at six, uh, do they stay with Jalen Hurst and say that the quarterback is not there? Where else? Where else in the top ten are we talking about outside of Philadelphia where he could be a good pick? Do the Dallas Cowboys pull the trigger at ten? On a, on a, I mean, just go all offense and say we're going to be team 40-burger and see if we can put 40 on everybody. <laughs> outside of that, the, the, 40, the 49ers at 12, maybe to put him alongside George Kittle. And so it's not only his, an appreciation for his talents, but where do we slot him in at? I say no way the Jags trade up if, if it's top six or seven. But if he slides to 12, would they not have a chance to trade I mean, up to get him at that point? I mean, if, I mean, are, are we deeming him the missing piece on offense? I mean, if we're deeming him the missing piece on offense, yes, we need to aggressively go up and get him. But I don't know, like the play callers that we have there, like I, I say play callers in plural, but the quarterback coach, Brian Schottenheimer, and then Dale Bevel, they've never been ones that have really utilized or featured the tight end. Right. I mean, maybe they maybe they have a little section in the playbook that is just for the special tight end that they've never had in their careers, but I don't know. You know, like I would like to find someone that can control it over the middle of the field, but is that an essential piece to the way that they want to play? Only Coach Meyer and those guys know. We've mentioned that on this podcast before. By the way, I would be pro team forty burger on offense. <laughs> I, 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 I want to score forty a game. So whatever that happens, how do we have to do that? Put this roster together, draft, free agent, trade, 40 burgers. Team 40 burger. Team 40 burger. That's what you want. You're going to light it up. Uh, defense, throw it out the window. Let's get all the offensive weapons. We can make this like a mad game. Maybe we even kick onside kicks with all the special teamers that we're getting. Just dial it up. Yeah, I know we just re-signed the punter, but you know what? Get him out of here, too. We're not going to punt. We're just going forward on fourth down every time. No? I mean – I know this may this may pain you. We can do, I mean, guys down there. We we can go with the old Steve Spurrier approach and just fun and gun it, you know, just sling it all over the lot and, you know, dang gum it. Keep throwing, you know, baby. Points we can put up. <laughs> Team Forty Burger. That's uh, the Huddle Up podcast approach. We're moving along on the Huddle Up podcast here on the official Jaguars podcast network, and we usually wrap up with social media questions. We put the bat signal out on Tuesday and. Here's what we've come up with today. This is from at SickWitIt98. Urban said he wants an elite D-line. 
There is no one elite on this line as of today. Clowney is an elite athlete and is elite yeah. in stopping the run. Can he be a player that the Jags target? Ooh. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'll pass on that coffee. I'll let John have that. No, I like, for me, I think he's a great, the best that never was. Like, he's a tremendous athlete. He looks the part. I mean, he is all of that. He doesn't give you sack production. He doesn't give you consistent uh, availability. Uh, I think he's a, a his name value carries more than his game. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. <laughs> he is a name, and it's exactly the opposite of what they've done in free agency so far, which is pay for big name. They clearly have preferred uh, going for guys that they think have great value. I just don't think uh, Clowney right now would be a value acquisition in free agency. He strikes you as far more the guy that if you think you need maybe one more guy over the top and he's there in September and you're a team that thinks they're going to be in the Super Bowl, maybe, but that really hasn't worked with the teams that have acquired him. I mean, that really hasn't been how it's worked for him the last couple of years. So I, I don't see it. All three of us combined had as many sacks as Clowney last year. Think about that. For yeah, yeah, and also, man, I, I don't know if when we talked about it, like Urban talking about the culture. I think he likes it. I don't know if he loves it. He doesn't play the game like he loves it, and I think that's a frustrating thing if you're coaching him or supporting the team because number one overall pick, number one overall recruit in high school, like he's been number one at a bunch of different things, and I don't know if he's ever played to that expectation. Our next question today from at Evanoff Joel. What are your thoughts on Rondale Moore and where do you see his value? Of course, he's the Purdue wide receiver. He measured in on Tuesday at Purdue's Pro Day at five foot seven, even 180 pounds, but his vertical was 42 and a half inches and an unofficial 4.2940. It's a Pro Day 40 time, though, Bucky. What do you think of Rondale Moore? It's super shifty and explosive. Uh, the 4-2 time speaks for itself. Even if it's not official, that puts him in the low 4-3 range. So he certainly can fly. Uh, when you listen to him uh, in interviews, he talks about being a crafty job runner. He has all that because the tape backs that up. The problem is he's 5-7. And 5-7, it's hard to find a wide receiver in the passing lane. You travel Lawrence, you get all these bodies coming at you, and you're trying to find a 5-7 guy. Like, that's, that's difficult, but... There's a place for him. I mean, I would expect he goes off the board day two. I don't know if he's a Jaguar, though. I, you know, I don't, I don't know where, who he removes from the lineup because he's more of a slide, gadget guy, touch the rock. That then takes away carries from the discus you know. JP 5'7 is short. Yeah. I mean, that's Maurice Jones' true height. Mojo. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not breaking any news there, but I'm with Bucky. There are, I'm sure that there are some teams, I don't want to say off the board, but I'm sure there are some teams where there's a GM saying, I just can't draft a 5'7 receiver. And he may defy that because that sometimes happens. But I'm with Bucky. I, I would have a tough time in, in, in round one, what I thought of as a premium guy. Boy, that's a big risk. Mm. All right. Thanks for the question there. Let's get our last question today at Danton Thomas, our, uh, our regular here on this segment. Are there any other players you see the Jaguars pursuing in that second wave of free agency? If so, what positions would be picked up? What do you think, Buck? I mean, we, we, we talked about it. The backup quarterback position is one that 
has to be discussed. Like, we have to get a veteran backup. I know Minshew Mania, I mean, I guess it's still flickering. The flame is still on a little bit. But I want a veteran quarterback to help Trevor Lawrence become the best that he could very, very quickly. So if they can find a, a veteran quarterback that's out there, maybe with the first letter A and <laughs> Alex, and last name is Smith, I mean, maybe that's the move, you know. Um, I just think you have to have someone that can show Trevor Lawrence how to play the game, who also understands the culture. So to me, it makes sense. That would be the guy that I would look for in the second wave. Yeah, I think they should sign Alan Smith. Uh, <laughs> Long lost brother. He would, he would fit Bucky's criteria. And I agree. I, I'm a proponent as well of, of the veteran backup plan. It's not that I'm not a proponent of Minshew, but I think he, in this situation, what Bucky's talking about makes sense. It's so hard to predict second wave free agency because by definition, it's more of a fill out some gaps. Anybody brought in now is probably not going to be the, hey, we envision a specific frontline role for this guy. You wonder if you know Zach Ertz still sitting out there. Anything that goes on with tight end is automatically going to pique people's interest. Although it feels to me like they have decided to go the route of develop the tight end. I think they sort of buy into what Bucky's talking about. I couldn't agree more with tight end that it is hard to find in the first round. It's high risk in the first round. And most of these great players, I think Kelsey was a third rounder, but it's to Bucky's point. The elite guys, the great guys, the last elite first round tight end, I think it was Gonzalez. I may be missing a couple, but to your point, it's that rare. Gonzalez came out in the 90s. It's not a guaranteed if you take him in the first round, it works out position. So I would certainly wait on that spot as well, Buck. Interesting. What Would you consider Jeremy Shockey that? Uh, yeah, Jeremy Shockey. I mean, he came out. He had some production. He kind of lived up to the hype. I mean, what year, what year is that? It was 02. It came out in mean, 02. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we're still talking geez. a couple of decades here. That's, uh, that's, you know, it's it's it, 20 years it, ago, it, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Gronk <laughs> was a second rounder. So it's it, it's hard to find. It, to me, and uh, Bucky and I have talked about this some like last year when I was talking about the draft. To me, it's it's the trickiest spot. As much as Jaguars fans have killed this team over the years for not having a guy there, it's an unbelievably tricky spot because the first rounders don't always work out. It's not high percentage in the first round. So you're automatically going late in the draft to find it. Well, that means you're developing. That means you're taking a guy who has a flaw somewhere. It'd be a first rounder. And if they're elite, they never come close to free agency. So they hang on to these guys. I don't think the 49ers are going to let Kittle go anytime soon. On next year's top 50 free agents, Kelsey ain't going to be on it. No. So it's just hard to find. It's a really hard position to find. And, and as much as you want to kill this team for not finding it, there's been a lot of teams that haven't found that elite guy at tight end. No, it's, it's funny, John, JP, because you're talking about it. I'm writing down the three tight ends that really stand out to me. Uh, we talked about George Kittle being a fifth, Travis Kelsey being a fifth, Darren Waller. Uh, I want to say it was a six or a seven, and he was a former college wide receiver. And the tricky part of the position is the job description. The job description of a traditional tight end is you're half offensive lineman, half wide receiver. Well, how many guys are walking around on the planet that have those capabilities where they can go and deal with those big old defensive ends, but yet they're swift enough to be a legitimate pass catcher? So what ends up happening is you split the job with, amongst two different people. You have your traditional tight end that does all the grunt work, and then you have the pass catcher. I think for the Jags is who can you identify as the value price 
pass catcher that can develop and be that guy that's a difference maker in the passing game? And who is the tight end coach? Who is the guy that can develop those specific skills? Because it does take some development to get those guys up and going. It's a challenge. All right, great conversation there, and thanks again for all the submissions on social media on Tuesday afternoon for the Huddle Up podcast. Coming up this week, Pro Day season continues, I'm guessing, Bucky, on NFL Network. Yeah, Pro Days, Pro Days, Pro Days. Uh, We have a few more Pro Days coming up. South Carolina is on the horizon. USC is also on the horizon. Everyone is excited to see these guys go, and I think maybe – Zach Wilson may be throwing the ball around the yard a little bit. So if we get a chance to see the second or maybe third quarterback in the draft class do his thing. Will Urban be right there in front of him is the question. All signs point to no. Yeah, I don't yeah, yeah, all signs point to no. I think I think they may be uh busy at work trying to craft the offense around maybe the little quarterback from Clemson. <laughs> Johnny O, what do you got coming up this week? Uh, actually, later in the week, I'm going to ha- have a uh, piece. Uh, Bucky and I sort of broke down the roster a lot over the last couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, last Wednesday, the entire roster changed. So I'll be doing sort of a truncated version of that Thursday and Friday where I break down the Jaguars offense and, and Jaguars defense just to sort of reset the roster. Because last Wednesday, this whole thing changed uh, dramatically. So if you're not sure where guys are playing and what's going to happen, Log on to Jaguars.com on Thursday and Friday. Yeah, and uh, from the sounds of it, Bucky's dial-up might be fixed by then. Maybe he be, he'll be able to go on and read his internet. He's on the phone with us today. I don't know. I mean, I mean, hopefully we do that. If not, I'm going to have to snail mail you guys. I'm going to have to send postcards and notes and all kinds of that other stuff. It may even be handwritten, which is something that I, man, I haven't done since my childhood. So you might have to go all the way back. Fax it. John still has a fax machine, I think, somewhere in this office. But uh, (laughs) Bucky, we'll talk to you again down the line next week. Have a good one. Hey, man, you got to be great, man. All right, Bucky's out of here. And, John, uh, I'll see you a little later today, as we always say here in the office. And remember to subscribe to the official Jaguars Podcast Network. It's on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Give us five stars, and we will catch you next time on the Huddle Up Podcast.